there's a call for church unity all within local church and even among very different church denominations, among evangelicals and charismatics in particular, in asking what unity may look like, if at all possible, by institutional or practical means. And we want to honor God, be obedient to scripture, and remain faithful to all believers in mutual love. As First John may say in the Bible, unity is more than just accepting and affirming the others. It's impossible to unite with someone you don't affirm. But just because you accept or affirm someone doesn't necessarily mean you unite with them on the same front or for the same cause. Uh, Previously, in part two of the series, I gave some quick remarks from Scripture on church division and unity, straight from teaching of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where believers were identified by the leaders they follow and as a result, dividing the body of Christ. Compared to modern-day church denominations, Paul warned about the vision of the church based on the names of their leaders and the baptism under whom they receive. And that was 1 Corinthians chapter 1. From the way the Bible addressed church divisions, I showed a favorable position from Scripture for denominational unity. Now I would like to evaluate on the opposite side, a separatist view of church denominations. In the Old Testament, all the people of God were one people, named Israelites, under the father Abraham. They were one people, the Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, all Israelites, every single one of them. But they were still divided into 12 different tribes. One people, but 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes were divided by names. So, just like there was Paul and Cephas and Apollos or Luther, Calvin and Wesley, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament were also recognized by the names of Abraham's sons, who were, fruit of God's faithfulness, the promise of God. From the Old Testament, any God-worshipping Jew would have been a Simeonite or Benjaminite or Levite, etc. And they were recognized by their names, much in the same way today you would name a Lutheran or Calvinist or Wesleyan, in, at least in terms of naming convention. But as soon as we get into the New Testament, everything changed because Gentiles of all the earth were included. There was no longer Paul or Cephas or Apollos. So if the people of God, as they once were, as united as history had ever seen, had 12 different tribes, was there to stop the Gentiles of all the earth from having, or as united as they could all be, many different denominations like tribal unity. Now, I'm not suggesting the same model should play out as if to assimilate Old Testament tribal divisions like we should among the forerunning theologians. There is the Germans and the British and the Scots. So too we have Lutherans, Presbyterians, Pietists. I I don't mean that. Uh, Jesus named 12 disciples, and he didn't divide them by name with the 70 added later. How is the tribal unity of the Old Testament transformed by Jesus into the collective life of Gentile church denominations? I think this is a theological point that needs to be resolved. To find a deeper and meaningful unity for all churches that are built on the power of Jesus on the cross. From the last episode, I brought up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in the New Testament. Uh, Paul was questioning, Is one of you a follower of Paul or Cephas? Is another one a follower of Apollos? Just because you were baptized by any of us? No, you don't become the followers of these names. 
Uh, from the Old Testament, it is a lot easier to clarify. A Jew was simply a Benjaminite or Levite or Reubenite, and due to God's promise to Abraham, so altogether every Hebrew was called an Israelite that way, because each of them were born to their fathers and they were their sons by flesh and blood. For the New Testament, you are simply just a Christian, according to the Gospel of John, chapter one. It says, "All who receive Jesus and believe in His name." They are given the right to become children of God, children of God born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Meaning, Christians as children of God are born not of flesh and blood. It's even more fascinating. The gospel calls it a right to be born of God. Without Jesus, you have no right to be a child of God. But due to Jesus, you do. Like a legal right, you have a right to become a child of God, not by flesh and blood, but by the will of God. And Jesus said, "You must be born of water and spirit, not flesh and blood. Water and spirit. It is no longer the lineage of flesh and blood that defines you, like it was with Abraham's children." Uh, Galatians three twenty-seven to nine says this: "So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith." For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. By faith, just as much as all the Jews were the people of God because they were children of Abraham, Abraham had faith in God. By Abraham's faith and God's faithfulness of His promise to him, his children became children of God. So too, in the New Testament, all people can become children of God by faith, believing in Jesus. In his death, resurrection, that is for us. Faith here is clearly the unifying point. Galatians chapter three twenty six twenty eight is a glimpse of that New Testament and Old Testament unity. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. Again, notice baptized. Baptized is baptized into Christ, and not Paul or Cephas or Luther or Calvin or even Abraham. Baptized into Christ. First、uh, twenty-eight. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, but if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And this promise is, of course, revealed by faithfulness of God, who gives us our faith in Christ. These are the biblical foundations. Now onto something a little more about church unity. In my view, church unity cannot possibly remain a static reality. I do not see church unity as a status or a milestone. Unity is not like a mountain top to stay on, where we once achieve it, once we achieve unity, all the churches and different denominations just link arms, march onward until Jesus comes. I don't imagine it would work out like that at all. I believe unity is necessarily a continuous renewal. Two words. Continuous renewal. First, I'll give the scripture and then I'll apply it.、Uh, from Mark chapter two, eighteen to twenty-two, Jesus answered a question about fasting. It isn't just about fasting; it is the reason for which you fast. Going into fasting is to anticipate and wait on something new from God. From verse eighteen, someone asked Jesus. How come John's disciples were fasting, but not the disciples of Jesus? Jesus answered, 
how can the guests of the bridegroom go on fasting if the bridegroom is already with them? Here, the guests being the disciples and the bridegroom being Jesus. Since Jesus compared himself as the bridegroom is already with them, why would they, the disciples, like the guests, be fasting? Since Jesus or the bridegroom is already there, they cannot. As long as the disciples have Jesus with them, there's no need to go on fasting. They don't have to wait for the person they are anticipating that they were waiting for because the person is with them. But the time will come again, said Jesus, when the bridegroom, Jesus himself, will be taken away from them. Here meaning by the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. That Jesus will be taken away from physically gathering with the disciples. And on that day, the disciples will fast again so that they can anticipate and wait for a new return of Jesus. They will fast again for a new return of Jesus just like guests for bridegroom. Therein is the foretelling of the future return of Jesus for his kingdom. But Jesus isn't finished there. There is a second illustration that follows and it involves wine and wineskin. Wine skin, that's the wine container. So Jesus goes on a little more. He said, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece would pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wine skin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skin. Both the wine and the wine skin will be ruined. They will be lost. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. An analogy by traditional uh, winemaking, chemical fermentation of new wine will stretch and shrink the wineskin. So if the old wineskin already stretched were to receive new wine, it will tear and burst. Both the wineskin will break and the wine inside will be lost, presumably spilled after being stored away. And then everything is lost. So in Jesus' response, John the Baptist and his disciples fasting were like the old wineskin, fasting, anticipating, waiting for the Messiah's arrival. But when Jesus arrives, his disciples do not fast, since Jesus is here. The new practice, like new wineskin, is to receive the presence of Jesus, like new wine. The disciples were not fasting to wait for him, he's right here. Simply spend time with the Messiah, walk with him, work with him, eat with him, commune with him. That's the new wineskin, new practice for the disciples from where they are coming from, there's their new wineskin. But a time will come again when Jesus won't be there and the disciples will fast again from that time. From that time on, like wineskin, expecting new wine. And that new wine will be the eventual and the next return of Jesus Christ. Every great work of God in history which has cemented many denominations of the true church had at once been like new wine pouring out from God every time. New wine from God. That's what cement churches, his church, the Catholic sacraments and doctrines, Luther's Reformation, Calvin's refinement, Wesley pleas for holiness, A.B. Simpson's missional healing, Billy Graham's crusade, the Pentecostal outpouring, and many, many, many more in between over time. New wine of God. As it were, for every time God is to pour out new wine, new works of the church or ministry, you do not pour it into old wineskin or old traditions, old methods or old practices. 
because the good of both is unfit for each other and they may end up destroying each other. Every good work of God that was so great that all the lives that were touched by His power and teaching together became a people in their own right, a movement decidedly, were like fresh new wine from God, needing new wineskin. At every turn, new wineskins, new practices, new traditions were needed and formulated. That's how institutions were born, housed and safe-kept within church movements and denominations across centuries. That's why we have so many different wineskins for different wine, denominational institutions and practices, new and old. When new wine is poured out from God, new institutions are needed, like new wineskin, to contain and maintain a new work of God. The Reformation may well be the new wine to the Catholics. The Charismatics may well be the new wine to the Evangelicals. But eventually, all that is new will become old again. And as such, every church denomination constantly needs new wineskin to welcome new wine from God. Continuous renewal. And that, that is the attitude of the heart. That is the starting point required, I believe, for every church to begin it so that we can come closer together by coming closer to God that way. An attitude of the heart in a yearning, even fasting, seeking for renewal and being prepared and ready for new wine from God. That attitude of the heart is the starting point required, I believe, for every church to begin it so that we can come closer together by coming closer to God that way and begin melting away any animosity between so many groups. A heart that yearns for God's new outpouring, for every fresh outpouring of God's work that He dispenses, there must be a fresh new wineskin, like new methods or adaptation to ministry, if I could borrow contemporary church terminology. If all our churches and denominations ready our hearts for new wine of God, together in oneness of hearts, fully seeking, anticipating, preparing for a new outpouring from God, pray for it, fast for it all across denominations, and put into practice readying for new wine and new operating, even setting new institutional ordinances in place to cultivate like new wineskin. When we can do all that together, I would imagine unity will come quite naturally, no matter the denominational boundaries. Uh, for something more relatable or realistic, from a local church level, some churches, big or small, some churches are very wise in this practice. When the leadership can sense the Spirit of God moving, leading, working among the people, bearing fruit, or maybe a specific type of God's work in the Bible or ministry starting, happening, and is affirmed by the Bible, and when there is peace and unity, there is praise and worship to God for it in the congregation, the leadership can create a new platform, new platform for it to grow on. It might look like a new team, new personnel, new space, new approach or practices, resources, etc., that's the new wineskin, because that new ministry may not necessarily fit the old methods or culture or tradition, old wineskin. But if God's work can be affirmed from the Bible, that's the entire goal of the church. 
It is for the same reason Catholic charismatics exist. Catholics who are also charismatics, because there was new grounds prepared for new wine. Now, for this practice, when you enlarge the scale of this practice from a tiny local church, all the way up to worldwide church denominations, the picture becomes a little more complicated. Because when it comes to movements and denominations born across hundreds of years in history, it involves significantly large number of many very different believers, different denominations, traditions, cultural backgrounds, teachings, emphases, doctrines, bylaws, practices over many, many, many years. At one time or another, all of these were also like wine that were once new. Poured out by God into wineskin that is His church and His people. All wine and wineskins that were once new eventually become old again. And one mission of the church is to continually renew until Jesus returns. That's the conversation we're having right now when it comes to unity, churches and denominations, new and old, preparing for new wine from God together. So on these grounds, I would say the church unity that we envision is not merely a static relational unity where we just agree, shake hands, stay put until Jesus comes. I don't think so. Church isn't an industrialized converter that operates until Jesus returns. Every church must need new wineskin to prepare for new wine poured out by God and in Christ, regardless of denominational identity. Unity can be renewed if we seek Jesus that way. According to the Bible, it is those churches and movements that fail to find renewal before God that falls behind, become stagnant or, or wither, only hanging onto old wine skin, reminiscing on old wine. That way, God may only stay His hand from pouring new wine into those places, because it would only tear itself and and all would be lost. It's not because God doesn't want to give out fresh outpouring or do new miracles. It's because we hang on to our own respective wine skin that has already gone old, and that teaching from Jesus is tied to our conversation about church unity, because that's at the heart of the issue and bottom line: new and old outpouring from God, like wine and wine skin, that became so many churches and movements and denominations in history, divine outpouring. And wineskin practice institutions. The kind of church unity we talk about is really about uniting the new and the old. Since whenever there's two parties involved, one of them has to be newer and older than the other one, like brothers of the same family, in the order that they were conceived, so to speak. Again, in my father's big house, there's many rooms. Each may well contain all God's children from far and wide, very different. But all children that are his, nonetheless. You have the evangelicals, Catholics, Lutherans, Calvinists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Charismatics. Some of them are new. Some of them were new, like wine and wineskin. Everyone that is faithful, blood-bought, born-again worshippers of Jesus, no matter who you are, everyone needs new wineskin, seeking and preparing renewal done by Jesus. That. That is at the heart of Mark chapter two, where Jesus responded to the question about fasting. That is how we, together united, can prepare for the eventual return of Jesus, and that is how one day we do not fast again.
So the unity that we speak of isn't merely institutional or missional, although I don't doubt that will eventually become part of the conversation on the basis of church operation. Unity is firstly spiritual from the heart. My question is, have we altogether prepared and found that new wine, a new outpouring by God with a living faith? And not just by faith of yesteryear's prayer from the days of old. Have we listened to the old-timer preachers who warned us about backsliding and complacency? Are we excited at all for God's outpouring? Do we yearn for it? Can we recognize the Lord's work according to His word? Can we do it together? It's a hard tune to receive from God together across movement and denominations history. If we indeed, like as the Bible says, we are in one heart and one spirit under one Lord. I would suppose by scripture, when we each in our camps continually seek fresh outpourings and renewal before Christ our Lord, according to the spirit of God and pleasing to the father, fully abandon our achievements and pride of days gone by at that time, unity may appear quite naturally. So Francis Chance from his book and interview indicated there can be no unity among those who are lukewarm and passionate for God. Now we also need to identify what to unite on with a passionate fire. It is a heart for renewal that comes from God. Renewal on God's terms, according to the Bible, rather than our own terms. Because if it were on our own terms, chances are we may only want more of the same stuff that we were already used to, old wine, which God had done in our own respective past. That's not new. That's just more. That's just more and more again. Jesus didn't say more wine of the same. He said new wine. Perhaps God may have other plans for each of us than what we imagine for ourselves as movements and denominations. Or according to the entirety of God's word in the Bible, new wine. New wine. What may church unity look like on institutional or practical terms? Here's a little story from the beginning of a Christian Missionary Alliance, once a movement only, and now a church denomination. Christian and Missionary Alliance, or CNMA for short, had an incredibly noble beginning. It was a missional movement that brings the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of divine healing into other church denominations that were already existing. As time went on with blessings from the Lord, their numbers increased and eventually they became a denomination. And then the focus changed naturally. But at the beginning, CNMA was a movement that had nothing to do with building its own churches or denominational label. It was about going to other church denominations with the gospel and a God-given power and ministry. Hence the word alliance in the name. It is in the name, not a person's name, but a relationship, alliance. The gospel was Christian. The mission as a practice at the time was to heal, like wine for stomach, to heal. Just like it was for Paul to preach and to baptize, there is the gospel and there's the practice. That's an incredibly humble and selfless way of service. By bringing the gospel and ministry into existing churches. No wonder the Lord would bless it, like in Acts 2 would say, the Lord added to their numbers. What a church world we may have if all the denominations and churches were able to peacefully, amicably go into and welcome each other with their respective distinctive ministries 
rather than staying estranged in their own doctrinal, traditional, missional silos? Historically speaking, this practice is very viable, proven even, and we can always begin on the things we agree on first, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his power on the cross, and any ministry that is according to the Bible. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Unity is more than affirmation and agreement. All God's children by faith will come together and they do more than just agree. They do much more by the Spirit's power together. Lord, renew us in our church and each of us with a fresh outpouring that may even surprise us. Help us to always remember the great works, the truth that you have given us in Jesus Christ. You alone have established by your word and with your Holy Spirit. Recapture our awe and reverence for you with a fresh outpouring. Re-excite us about you, just as you first did, because you are an infinite and unsearchable God. Amen. Thank you.